This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sliders, Season 2, Episodes 8 and 12. How can we spend so much time with somebody and not realize what a creep he is? He's scared, Wade. He's lost hope that we're ever going to get home, so he's settling for a close copy of his old reality. Yeah, well, what if he's right? What if we never do get home? Do you want to stay, too? No. Because I can't promise anything, Wade. I'm not sure I can actually ever get us home. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast snacking on some tasty eyeballs. I'm Luke, here's my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I had a line that I liked in the show, but the eyeballs thing was a weird thing. Are they are they well known to be the most delectable of the uh, human body parts, the eyeball? I mean, just imagine you pop one in your mouth, bite in, it pops a little, a little flavor burst. It's like a little lychee? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. You're pretty tasty, I think. I go for the thigh. You would just eat the human thigh? Human thighs, yeah. Interesting. Thigh man, eh? <laughs> That's Some right. sort of thigh master, perhaps? That's right. Yeah. I know it's just the tastiest of the body parts. Hold me to it. <laughs> well, this week we are joined by returning guest Jane. Jane, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, guys. I'm really excited to be back. It's been a while. It has been a little while. I can't remember what you were on for last. Do you remember? No, I'll have to think about it. I'll remember sometime in the middle of recording this. It wasn't Langoliers, was it? That's it was what I was going to say. Now and Langoliers. That no, I felt like there's something between after Langoliers. Yeah, I feel that way too. Yeah, but I, it might have been. It might have been the Langoliers. That was a bit of a disappointment overall for everybody. So that might have sort of ended on a down note. Maybe that's why you didn't ask me back for so long because I had <laughs> made you guys watch the Langoliers and then everyone was so angry, including me. More importantly, though, if you're going to eat a body part. What would you pick? Would it be eyeballs? No, I would have picked the brains for sure. Mm, I mean, the like brains. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you're thinking about something being a delicacy, it means that there aren't very many that are like it, and the human eyeball is not that exciting compared to other species of animals' eyeball. I don't think, unless I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. If you're an eye scientist or something, but um, I think the human eyeball wouldn't be that. Like, yeah. So the human brain is markedly different from most other species' brain. It's it's quite a bit larger. Um, it has, like, I don't know, more neurons and is more interesting. So I would say that the brain would be the delicacy and not the eyeballs. More neurons, more taste. They always say that. Yeah. That's right. But tell us what you really think. Have you thought about it at all? <laughs> I did think about it. I, this is exactly true. No, I do think. I do think... That this it would it would be the brain because I was just like the eyeballs are so tiny and every animal on Earth has eyeballs. You get an eyeball anywhere. Anyway, people aren't going to know what we're talking about because we we haven't talked about the episode yet. But they eat eyeballs. <laughs> if That's somebody's saying know. that eyeballs are a delicacy, like I'm just not sure about that. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler uh, in these episodes, the sliders aside, they like <laughs> eyeballs. They start eating them all the time. That's what the new show is about. You know what? It wouldn't surprise me because. Both of these episodes, well, the first one in particular that we watched really threw me for a loop. Well, Jane, that brings up a good point here. What's your history with sliders? Were you, is sliders a big part of your life? So I was completely aware of sliders. And I was trying to think back and figure out why I never watched sliders. Because it was totally in my wheelhouse in terms of like the science fiction kind of aspect for it. But I think maybe I was just a, like a, 
a couple years too old for it. Because hmm. I was, I mean, I think I'm a couple of years older than you guys. So I was like 15, 16 when it came out. And I don't think it was angsty enough for me. I don't think it was dark <laughs> enough for me. I, But I never tried to watch it. Like I remember seeing previews for it all the time, like ads on TV. Um, I think for a while it might have aired before the X-Files. Like it might have been the 8 o'clock Friday night show and the X-Files was 9 o'clock and I was all about the X-Files. But no, I never, well, I think it was too bright and sunny and I just didn't think it was for me, I guess. And then also it got to the point where like I wasn't, actually home on Fridays at eight o'clock pretty much ever like I would tape the x-files because I was obsessed with it and I would set up my VHS to tape it but I would have no reason to watch sliders or tape sliders or anything so it just kind of it went I wouldn't say it went over my head but it like went past me like it just sort of went off to one side and like I never engaged with it and I probably should have I like that low-key brag where you're like I was out on Friday nights doing stuff <laughs> I was cool, man. I had friends. I did stuff on Fridays. I, I definitely had time on Friday night to watch uh, Sliders and the X-Files. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, I think, if, honestly, if I had been like 13, I, I would have been all about it. But I think it was just... You missed it by by that much. By that much. I missed it. And honestly, as well, like, I literally never saw an episode. If I had actually watched an episode, I might have really liked it, even at that age. But all I ever saw were like the pre the cheesy TV previews for it. And I think they just didn't, it never sold me and I never tried it. And that was it. No teenage crush on Jerry O'Connell. Well, that's too bad. No, not at all. And the girl who plays Wade looks so much like Carrie Fisher. It just freaks the hell out of me. <laughs> like she looks like a young version of, of late 80s Carrie Fisher. Just like, <laughs> it's very specific. That's quite the celebrity match. It's it's the haircut, right? It's like it's like that short, like like Carrie Fisher and when Harry met Sally haircut, where she has like the short cropped hair. She just looks exactly like her, as far as I'm concerned. Just like a slightly younger version. <laughs> I find it. I found it really off in the first episode, specifically in the pilot that I watched. I was just like, whoa. I sort of got used to it, but I was just gonna say I'm surprised you even noticed her with her like three seconds of screen time in these episodes. Yeah, she doesn't have us true. She doesn't have a ton of screen time, but <laughs> I mean, I noticed anyway. But Jane, you did watch the pilot before we came here. You asked for it specifically before you watched these two, so you could get up to speed on it. Which makes sense now that I know that you did not watch it originally, which I was shocked to hear just now. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to get up to speed on it, but also, so at the time that we're recording this, the one episode that is available of your podcast is the one, the pilot. So I was able to, I listened to that earlier this week, and it must be the highest rated pilot in the history of Continuum Drag. Like, you guys just both, like, were so complimentary about the pilot. We and, enjoyed and it. Particularly Jordan, Jordan, yeah, like, you guys really seemed to, so I was like, I, I think I gotta watch this. Like, it sounds like a really good pilot. And, and you were not wrong. Like, it was... A great pilot. I really enjoyed watching it. And I'm really glad I watched it because the two episodes that you gave me, particularly episode eight, the first one that we're going to talk about, is turned the whole thing inside out. And I think if I hadn't watched the pilot, I think I would feel I felt much more disoriented watching episode eight. And I don't think I, I wouldn't have enjoyed it nearly as much just like parachuting into it. So I'm really glad that I that I watched the pilot. I thought it was great. Out of 10, what's the pilot? I would give the pilot like a nine, nine and a half out of 10, like as a, as a pilot, like as a pilot movie, I think all of your guys kind of comments on it were, were right, which is that it like, it's really tight. You learn a lot. It moves really fast. Characters are all likable. You get what's going on. There's an interesting adventure. 
Like if that's why I think like if I had actually maybe watched that pilot, I might have as a 15 year old, I might have been into sliders. But say la vie. Yeah. But I'll say this. I think the pilot still, and I know this is maybe bearing lead, I still think it's the strongest episode of the series we've watched. Strongest episode of any of series? This, of this of series. No, no, of Sliders. <laughs> of Sliders. How many have you watched now? How many, Luke? Six? Something like that? This will be our, um, I think, ninth and tenth. Mm, okay. All right. So you might be able to answer some questions that I have then about some of these things that are going on. All right. Well, let's get into it then. Here's the IMDb summary for Season 2, Episode 8, Post-Traumatic Slide Syndrome. After 18 months, the sliders finally return home. However, all is not as it seems, particularly with Professor Arturo. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I want to mention something real quick. Did you guys notice this was directed by Adam Nimoy? I did notice that. I didn't notice. Leonard Nimoy's son and uh, wife of Terry Farrell. Oh, good for him. I, I looked. I know, yeah. I looked at his credits. He doesn't have a, it's not like a long career, but he's done like a lot of like, you know, like one episode of this and one episode of that. So he's like been directing regularly as sort of like a, jobbing director so he's made a career of it but it's not like it's not being mean but there's nothing like terribly amazing to write home about there in that career right 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 Right. but he's a probably a good work working director yeah i think that's i think that's what he's he's kind of made a career of like yeah bring him in for a block of episodes he'll do it then he'll leave yeah it's like tom hanks recently said it's a family business so it's just kind of like (laughs) he came you know it's what it's it's true though he's just like he didn't know what else to do they got him some directing jobs and now he kind of does some tv directing here and there and you know makes a living yeah and he directed at least one episode of Sliders. At least. Yeah. That we're aware of. That we're, I think this is it. I think this is the only one he did. Okay. Well, before we get into this episode, let's just break one thing out and just talk about it separately. And that's the framing device of this episode, which is that Rembrandt is in therapy discussing with a therapist the strain of sliding and the sort of a crisis he's having have done all sliding. And this will sort of act a little bit as a narration to the episode. So we don't have to get into all the narration bits, but like it doesn't really fit into the episode because it's actually taking place outside of the episode it's just like him and a different world talking to a therapist about sliding's kind of hard and do you think it was necessary do you think it fit this episode i found it so you don't realize until the end of the episode that it doesn't fit in the episode though that's the thing is that i thought watching it that like he was, t- he was, he was, you know, reminiscing back about this specific story and kind of narrating this episode. I thought we were going to arrive at the present. Like I thought the episode was going to kind of hit him in the psychiatrist's office and then continue on. Like I thought that the psychiatrist's office was going to be part of the story of the episode. And so then when it wasn't, I was very confused and I thought it was weird. And it seemed like somebody's last minute decision. Well, I think the major problem is. It was, I think, supposed to be a framing device, but it just becomes, well, the, the one major problem is it doesn't really teach you much about Rembrandt because there's nothing new, like that it's hard to slide and it must be difficult sometimes to go places that are better or worse than what we're used to. Okay, we could have already got that. But then at the end, it's really for a gag of he's telling this guy who doesn't believe him and then the guy has to get committed because they like show him up at the end for a reason am i like well i was like am i supposed to not like the psychiatrist was the joke that psychiatry's stupid or is the joke that just people are blown away like he was going to send rembrandt to the loony bin but now he's going to the well, loony basically bin. three quarters of the way through this this narration the psychiatrist goes out to his assistant and says call the cops and bring it the you know bring an ambulance with the straitjacket this guy's insane and so i thought that that was going to then be a plot point like this was going to be part of the episode is that rembrandt was going to get carted off to a loony bin and then they were going to have to rescue him and that was going to be but that never happened like jordan just described basically 
Rembrandt just finishes telling his story. And then later on, the psychiatrist is the one who's crazy. So I don't know. I, maybe it was written for a different episode <laughs> and then they took it out and put it into this episode. Maybe they just really needed to move this episode along because one of the things that this episode, like this episode, a lot of stuff happens. And I think a bunch of time passes. It's not quite clear how much time has passed, but probably more time than would have normally passed in an episode. I'll tell you, it's less than you think. Is it? Okay. Because <laughs> that was one of my questions as I was going along. I'm like, some of these things would take a long time to happen. So let's, fig- you know, try to figure out. But yeah, it, it was a little bit of a strange device. It is interesting, Jane, because you're coming into this new and that for you, you were waiting for the framing device to connect in, which I think, you know, as a average TV viewer, that's what you'd be waiting for. But we've watched so much sliders now that the mo- there's an early moment where the uh, psychiatrist goes and looks out a window and as soon as he did that, I'm just like, okay, this has nothing to do with what's happening in the current storyline. This is a completely unrelated thing. I, I just knew, based on the sliders we've seen, this was going to be a nothing sideshow. And it guaranteed it came out to be a nothing sideshow. Oh, so there have been other nothing sideshow components to previous episodes? They have a real problem with finding a way to build two storylines together. And I just knew because this was such a minor sort of framing device, I was like... I actually thought they'd even go a little further. I thought he'd look out the window and the reveal would be there on some like wacky planet where like things are flying around. But they didn't even go that far. It was, as Jordan says, all for a gag of a psychiatrist right. being like right. locked away. Yeah, and I didn't know. I thought maybe yeah. maybe Rembrandt visits a shrink in every world that he goes to because he's so traumatized by this. Like I thought maybe it was a recurring thing, in which case that's also kind of funny. But it's a great idea. But there, you know, it's just such a throwaway. <laughs> Well, well, I think I think that, that I think that's all you really need for the framing device because you're right, Luke. Like it doesn't it doesn't add it doesn't even really take away from the episode, and it just is kind of there. So it's like, all right, well, there it is. Anyways, what's happening with the other characters? You know, I made a couple notes about it because occasionally the framing device is used to like narrate your way into the next scene of the main story. But even the one one of the times it's even used that direction, it's used to give a different explanation for the events you're seeing happen than what's set in the story. And I'm just like, oh, cool. So two different explanations, great. Yeah, I did notice that. And I thought maybe the writers were getting nervous about <laughs> taking people too far down the garden path in one direction. And they wanted to reassure viewers that something. I, it was a little odd. Anyway, let's get into the episode that we're really watching. What's really happening is the sliders are landing on Earth. And it appears to be their original Earth. And it's been 18 months of sliding, which is pretty close. I think this is probably like a year and a half into the show. So they're saying it's pretty much real time. And um, everything on this Earth seems to match their Earth. That, that gate, that gate mm-hmm. squeaks, Jordan, yep, just yep. like in the pilot. Oh, and I wanted to say, though. His mom's there. Quinn's mom's there. She recognizes him. Yeah, Quinn's mom's there, although uh, distractingly played by a different actress. So I was like, oh, I, w- I was like, oh, it's it is his I mom. Also was That's what I was so distracted too because it was different actors from the pilot. But then I was like, well, maybe they just recast her after the pilot. But no, they. When was the last time you'd seen? No, the no, mom? she was definitely in a different episode. Last time there was an Earth that was similar. I looked into this, and according to INDB, I think in the second season they recast the mom because she this this woman also appeared previously as the mom. So I think they at some point the mom mm-hmm. just got recast and they just moved on. But yeah, I was like, that's not your mom, Quinn. Like, what are you talking about? Why do you think you're on the right planet? That woman has had way too much plastic surgery. Like, something's going on. <laughs> oh, burn. It is a real issue when you have a show about sliding and people being slightly different when you recast <laughs> someone. Because it really, like, implies something else when you see it. Yeah. yeah let me just ask one, one weird thing about this episode, though. Is like, so they've been gone for 18 months. 
and they all sort of all the characters like that becomes a, a thing of this like their home and they want to see their loved ones and kind of uh, uh, reingratiate themselves into their lives but 18 months is a really long time and they all sort of are like a little bit nonchalant about it we're like we'll just keep it secret for a little while like wouldn't it be weird if someone a loved one or a friend or even a colleague came back for a year and a half and they're like uh, we'll talk about it later why why i was gone it, it 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 just was such a i know i know it's a weird thing to hold on on a show that's literally about traveling through dimensions but it was just like it almost felt like they didn't give that enough time was i the only one who felt that i definitely felt that they didn't do what someone would do if they'd been gone for 18 months like they all just hung out at quinn's house drank champagne wade called her parents but didn't run home to see them immediately then they went into his basement and started talking about the invention like <laughs> like nobody seemed everyone's just still seemed very focused around like Quinn and what was happening with him and then yeah aside from Wade calling her family I mean it it took them a little bit of time like Rembrandt showed up and found his manager again and like Arturo went back to the university but yeah nobody was quite as excited as I think they ought to have been for that yeah I think it's an issue just with you know Quinn's the star of the story and they don't want everyone to run home like you would after you got home after being missing for 18 months but the purpose of it is that they need them to go to this basement after celebrating so that Arturo can be like hey listen we're back home the sliding machine as we've seen it doesn't work perfectly yet and I think maybe we need to like figure this out before we announce it to the world like it's like it's a flawed dangerous machine right now I know you guys want to tell everybody but can we just like agree to keep it quiet for a little bit till we get this sorted out and this is sort of the you know the initial uh, conflict of that is everyone just like okay I can tell my family but I have to keep it secret from the rest of the world and you know as you said Jordan there's kind of this weird thing but they do get the idea that like they're able to tell their family like Rembrandt goes to see his manager he does tell his manager where he's been eventually Quinn clearly tells her his family Wade tells her family the the biggest weird one is and it's part of the plot of the episode is when Rembrandt goes to the university bumps into a colleague and says I'm back after 18 months oh sorry Arturo thank you I'm back after 18 months hope the dean didn't give my job away I'm just like Yes, he gave your job away 100%. You've been gone. I know. I wrote down, I'm like, he must be tenured because otherwise he would, there's no way he would still have a job. And like, did people file missing persons reports? Like, where are the police? What is going on? We, we might as well talk about it. It's not a spoiler. The show's been off for 30 years. But like, so this is the, this is going to be the turn. And you're going to like, it's the whole episode. You're going to have that feeling as a viewer is, is, has Arturo for better or worse sort of turned on the team a little bit, or at least been a little bit disingenuous with his intentions towards them um did did you buy that at all like i mean specifically i guess jane because you've only watched one episode like did you think that was arturo yes i totally thought he was doing that because i i was obviously i'd only seen one episode and so having arturo turn is is not something that i expected but when it happened i was like well I know that there was some controversy around the show. I know that John Rice davies didn't like the show. Like he maybe wanted to leave the show. And I didn't know what the timeline was on when that had occurred. Mm. I didn't know why. I was like, either like maybe they had him do this and he really was mad that they made his character do this. And that's why he wanted to leave the show. Or maybe this is part of him already deciding to leave the show. Like maybe they, he said he wanted to leave and they've turned Arturo evil. And that's going to be the way. So I like... I had no point of reference. And so I I thought this is what was happening. I was like, this could totally be happening. I mean, I had in the back of my head, I'm like, is there some way that this could not be happening? But the hypothesis that I had, which ended up being the correct hypothesis as to why this was happening, was in no way reinforced at any point 
throughout the entire first three quarters of the episode. Like there were no hints that my theory was right until suddenly it became obvious that it was right. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm talking? I didn't want to like, I didn't want to spoil it. I didn't. Yeah. No, no. I think that's right. Yeah. I, I think, I, I, and I think that it's interesting because you've watched the one episode. Maybe that is how a viewer just tuning in randomly would have felt. I thought it was so abrupt. Like what well, the next scene we're going to see, which I think, or at least a few scenes in Luke, you can take us through it, is that we're going to see the other characters watching a newscast and immediately they're going to see that Arturo essentially uh, giving up the information he's telling uh, the world or at a Prince conference. Um, not only that, the slide machine he's on Larry King. He's on Larry King. He's giving it, but he's also taking credit for the invention. Yes. Yes. It's, it's him. They turn on the TV. He's on Larry King. He's telling everyone he invented sliding. He has proof of it. He's got this um, futuristic arrowhead from a world where North America was never colonized. And, um, I was like, what was that episode about? It turns out it wasn't a real episode. I, I looked into it and not a real episode. <laughs> but yes, he's basically taking credit for it all. He's on TV. It's it's a big it's a big like news media announcement. And it's it's been twenty four my biggest thing was I'm like, it's been twenty four hours. How did he manage to get on Larry King already? Yeah, it hasn't been very long. But the other thing too is that although Quinn and Wade are disappointed that he's done this and sort of upset with him, they never say that's completely unlike him. He would never do this. So that's the other thing was for me, not having watched previous episodes, I'm like, maybe he'd been getting, maybe he'd been sort of turning ornery. Like maybe he'd been getting more and more annoying. Maybe there'd been things in previous episodes where he had been less likable because both Quinn and, and Wade seem to think that it's believable that he would do this. I'll be honest. I think I'm in the same camp as both of you. When I saw this, I'm like, whoa, this is a very sudden turn. And I was, I kept waiting. I'm like, I'm like, I think I know where this twist is going. It's sliders. Maybe there's something, some, a double kicking around. But by, I think you're right. By halfway through, I was like, oh yeah, this is Arturo. Like he would do this. I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just thought it was too convenient as we've seen in some other episodes. And Jane obviously wouldn't have that same kind of background. But I think it, there's almost a tell for the show. And maybe it's not a fair criticism, but that, when they don't show doubles and they don't even mention them, it's almost like, well, there's got to be a double here somewhere. Because, <laughs> like, the characters haven't even attempted to look for, you know, because you assume when they go to world, at least you would think the first thing and they would assume if it's a world very much like ours is that there will be doubles and it will be a very similar situation, right? But the thing is, they don't think they're in a different world. They think they're on their Earth. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, you're, you're right. That is true. And I will point out, Jordan, we have watched an episode where Arturo makes a huge heel turn. That's right. And it is Arturo. That's right. Like, they, they've done this to him before. <laughs> the election episode. But, yeah. but didn't you think almost that was... the? I felt that episode was so out of character for him. Like, it was so far beyond that. I was like, they couldn't do it again. But maybe it's interesting we all kind of felt differently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think you're right, though. I think an astute viewer, I think all three of us saw that it sort of turned coming. Because we, you know, we all know this is a mid-season episode. We know they're not really home. So we're just waiting to see when they're going to find out they're not home. So I think early on, I think we all were probably in the same mindset. It's like, is this the real Arturo? But to Jane's point, by the time it got like three quarters of the way through, uh, I that the the problems they were having were so unrelated to Arturo yeah. that I was just like, I think this just is Arturo. Hmm. Yeah, because there's all this debate around whether or not they're really home. I mean, they, they think at first that they're home, but then there starts to be some suspicion that there might not be home. And that's that's kind of where the debate happens. There's no debate around whether or not Arturo is doing this. Or That's true. And that's sort of what happens is the sliders all get together at a bar without Arturo to discuss his, like, him stealing the idea for sliding and, like, using it as his own. 
it's very funny. They're at this bar. They're talking about, can you believe Arturo went on TV? We've been back for maybe 48 hours, and he's already he's already taking credit for sliders, for being a slider and inventing sliding. And then it turns out both Rembrandt and Wade have also sold their sliding story as well. As soon as they saw that press conference, they both ran out. Uh, are, like Rembrandt basically got his recording career going. He's got three, like offers from labels based on the fact that he's the sliding crying man and wade has sold her diaries for a million dollars to newsweek specifically to newsweek her serialized diaries yeah and my favorite part about that scene is they're doing it and they're like can you believe that arturo would go on tv and do this and then wade wade gets all snotty and she's like oh yeah rembrandt well i heard you sold your music and he's just like and rembrandt just turns to her he's like you sold your diary for a million dollars. And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess I did. I'm like, what are these characters doing suddenly? <laughs> yeah, they were all like kind of turning into little fame whores. And like Rembrandt, I got because it's his dream to be famous and be a singer. And so this is his opportunity to do that. But Wade and obviously Arturo is just like, wait, what is happening? Like, who are these people? And I guess you're supposed to be feeling that they're so relieved to be home that they're having this kind of cathartic experience where they're just kind of re-injecting themselves into the world and trying to kind of find their place in it in kind of a new way and this is their way of doing that that's kind of what i got from it no that's fair although i have to point out and this is runs throughout the episode where it just didn't make sense to me it's like i get it there the whole point is arturo stealing credit for inventing sliding don't wade's diaries counteract that entirely like her diaries would clearly show quinn's major involvement in all of this like it doesn't make sense that quinn is like no the media is not at his house no one's trying to talk to him there's no there's not no no one cares about him. well i think to be fair he seems to not have an interest in proving himself because he almost immediately becomes suspicious that they're not actually home so all of his concern because at that same it's at that same bar where they see the press conferences. He goes to make a phone call to call Professor Arturo. I think it's that same one. And he sees a, a newspaper posting on the wall from like the Super Bowl from 10 years ago. And it's different teams than he remembered who played the Super Bowl. And so he immediately starts to get suspicious. And so from then on, he's not so interested in proving himself to be the inventor of sliding than he is in convincing his friends that they're on the wrong world and they're not actually home and that they need to keep moving. I was just thinking, Luke, what would it have been? What news clipping would it have been that would have uh, indicated to you that it was the wrong world? That's a good question. Um, not a sports one. I'll tell you that. I wouldn't have known that the 49ers played the Dolphins, <laughs> not uh, what was it? Who are they playing? The Jets. That's who they played in this world. I wouldn't have known that. That's for sure. Yeah. You just see that. You're like, checks out. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's funny because there's a couple of things like that that are kind of so, you know, he sees that there's the sports, the uh, the football thing. And then there's another one later where Quinn is like, my baseball card is different. You know, I remembered my baseball card having an asterisk here and it's no asterisk or something like that, like about somebody's uh, home run record. I forget who it was. And I sort of it was still feeling that he was like having a bit of a Mandela effect issue, like that maybe he was misremembering because I mean, again, we're in like, what is this 1995? Like there's no internet. There's no, like there's all there is, is his own memory compared to the world that he sees in front of him. And 
he basically is just kind of forced to try to reconcile two things and like what could be more true is it his memory or is it this news article and his friends are being like no you're just remembering wrong like you don't know all the details of the super bowl and you sort of suspect that that might be true well i thought there was something interesting they could have maybe leaned into more is the idea that everyone has arrived back home Everyone is some seem seemingly at least financially done so much better very quickly, except for him. So there's almost like he's a little behind the ball. So he's like looking for excuses to leave. And they there's a little bit of that I think in the episode. But I almost feel like that could have been the actual episode. Is that it's almost like he's he's going out of his way to prove things. And maybe even the viewer you're like he seems like it does seem like the actual world, you know. And they, they kind of toy with it a little bit. But I think they could have maybe leaned in it a little bit more. Yeah, I think the issue is by having Quinn immediately spot that newspaper, we know he's right the second he sees it. Right. Yeah. And so what the problem becomes is just like, you're just like, well, you guys have been sliding for 18 months. Like if one of your friends comes to you and says, I think something's wrong, you don't just dismiss him offhand. You're immediately going to start looking into it because you've already done this so many times that you would also be suspicious if someone noticed something. You'd be trying to disprove it perhaps, but you wouldn't just be dismissing him like flat out. Yeah, I do think that they played it. I didn't find it that unbelievable. Again, not having watched the other episodes, though. Like, I did see their perspective, which was that they were all beginning to do well and find their place. And he was feeling left out, obviously, because he had been screwed over by Arturo. But, like, he wasn't, he was feeling out of place and they were feeling in place. And so he was trying to find excuses. Like, I, I bought that a little bit. Would it have been better or worse if in this episode there only was one bit of information that he thinks didn't line up? Maybe it wasn't this specific 49ers Super Bowl, but it was one bit of information that he knew that he was like, no, no, this is real. And there's no other confirmation in the episode. Would that have made this a more interesting episode? I think so. I think if there was something he wasn't 100% sure of, but was just like, he was like, that's not right. Like he'd walk, you know, that thing you walk by every day and it was just like, that's not that's not how I remember it. Like, I think if it was like that, because then it's that Mandela mm-hmm. effect. Then it's that idea of just like, there's this small little thing tweaking the back of his head being like, this isn't right. Something's wrong here, but I can't find it. I can't prove Like, I can't prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. But, but they, they sell it right to the, the viewers right away that, oh yeah. And Quinn's right. And you're on Quinn's side. So you're just like waiting for the other characters to eventually come around, which you know, they will. Yeah. What were the things there was the, the Super Bowl was one. There was a baseball card. There was yeah. something else. Hank in Aaron. T- Hank Aaron's uh, asterisk wasn't there. Roger Maris. The third one is great because uh, he goes to tell Wade at her um, apartment. And she's living in a quintessential 90s cool apartment. It's got like a loft. She's got an assistant working on the main floor. Well, as soon as I saw it, I'm just like, this looks like where the friends live or something. It's like such a quintessential 90s apartment. But he goes there because he found his eighth grade photo. And right. a kid in it doesn't have braces. <laughs> Right. So if if that had been the first thing or the only thing, I think that would have been more believable than sort of sandwiching it with sports statistics to be like, I remember this kid. I remember the kid looked different or I remember or that kid wasn't in my class. He was in the other class, like something like that, that you could easily misremember. Hmm. That would have that would have probably kept us going a little bit longer on this question. I will say, though, so much of this stuff, like he goes there, he tells her all the stuff. She's obviously very dismissive. And it's because she's too busy because she's got her new assistant to deal with all her millions of dollars from the book that she's selling to a publisher to publish as a, uh, like a full book. And then she's also on the phone with her lawyer arguing about which starlet's going to play her in the movie. 
It's been, what, seven days? Well, this is what I was trying to figure out is like how much time has passed because, yeah, she's got this whole new office apartment. She's got the assistant. She's got all these deals going. She seems like very adept at this point at like negotiating. She's like chatting with her lawyer and talking about negotiations that she has to have. And then meanwhile, Arturo, who is like taken credit for everything has had like a bunch of press conferences they they've made by this point they are about to make a statue of him unveil a statue of him like how long does it take to make a statue there's a whole museum dedicated to him that has all kind of just materialized in i guess a week that's why i thought that it was a lot longer i thought that it must have been like at least a month or two but you're right now that i think about it the big reveal that happens about Arturo at the end is like, oh, yeah, it's only been a week. I believe at the end they say they've been here for two weeks. That's how long they've been on this planet. So at this right. point, they've been here a week and she is now a best-selling author with stars fighting over her uh, the to play her in movies. That's right. And nobody, nobody has actually demonstrated anything. This is the other thing. So the, the world is all agog about interdimensional travel. And, but... As far as I can tell, no one's actually done any slide. Like the military, the government hasn't come and asked to see the technology. Like it's still in Quinn's basement. Like nobody has, everyone's just kind of taking Arturo's word for everything. Well, and this is sort of where it goes with is Arturo obviously is taking credit. At some point he has people go break into Quinn's house to steal the timer because he needs it to like back up his claims. And it takes a long time for this to happen. And I get it. They've got a lot to do in this episode's. It does feel like it's a little late in the episode when it finally happens. But Quinn finally goes to talk to Arturo, which you'd think would be like the first thing. a person you've slid with for 18 months. The first stop you'd be just to be like, call him up and be like, dude, what's happening here? I don't understand. Um, but he finally does. And Arturo just basically says, you used my ideas to invent this thing. So essentially, I invented it. It's These are all my research made this possible. So I think it's mine. And that's why I'm taking it. This is sort of his reason for taking it. And of course, Quinn, when he talks to him, he's not there to confront him about stealing the research. Quinn's just like trying to tell him, he's like, we're on the wrong earth. Like, so it doesn't really go anywhere, but we just get to see like where this Arturo's mind is at behind why he's taking the the invention, essentially, why he won't share credit. Mm -hmm. But as you said, Jane, the next day after basically Quinn's tried to talk to all his friends about sliding or about being on the wrong earth, they're opening up a brand new wing of the museum dedicated to sliding with a with a full statue of Arturo going on. They go in and uh, the Rembrandt and um, Wade, they happen to see the timing device, the timer that got stolen is sitting in the museum. So they, you know, it's obviously now that uh, Arturo had stolen it originally and Wade goes to call Quinn to just to tell him it's like hey you're right let's like talk to the cops it's sitting here and when she's on the phone with Quinn we don't hear Quinn's side of the conversation but she gets quickly annoyed because clearly Quinn all he wants to talk about is they're on the wrong earth so she hangs up the phone she turns around right behind her is a window and it's the Golden Gate Bridge except it's not gold anymore it's blue <laughs> it's blue and nobody noticed they've been hanging out in this world for how long in San Francisco and nobody's noticed that the Golden Gate Bridge is blue and she even says like oh she heard them on the radio calling it the Azure Gate Bridge or something like that is it Azure is that what they said yeah yeah the the color blue Azure yeah Azure Gate Bridge but she didn't think anything of it she wasn't paying attention and I thought that was so dumb because there's actually something interesting. I don't know if I love the examples they did of, you know, Roger Maris's asterisk or whatever, little little tiny things that are wrong. But then to make the, the Golden Gate Bridge blue, it was just so dumb. Whereas what it should have been, at least in my opinion, is it should have been something 
personal to Wade, something that she also now notices in her life is a little bit off. And then she's like, oh, he is right. Like it's, they already established that the world is almost exactly the same. It's like why this one thing is, is so dramatically different. I just, that was so dumb, but whatever it gets, it gets her on side. That's, that's the, yeah, I think the problem is then you have to like have Wade's personal story in there and nobody really wants to spend much time on her. So let's just make it a thing that right. can see. Right. Also, I have a question. The Golden Gate Bridge isn't gold, is it? It's, it's red-ish. So why did Orange, they change oranges. the name? When it became blue, why did it become the Zergen Bridge? I guess it could still be. Well, it's it's far from golden, I guess. They were really worried the audience still wouldn't get it after they saw a blue Golden Gate Bridge. And they're like, well, let's change it to a name for blue. Yeah. Well, I, I just looked at it. I'm like, oh, I bet it was pretty easy for them to invert the color. No, that's right, fair. Right? Like when they're doing this, the special effect, if they just invert the color, it turns like a bluish color as opposed to trying to like paint it some other thing. Now, Jordan, I have a question for you. How did you like mm. the gag with Rembrandt or with Arturo's statue? What was the gag? That he's thinner. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's look, they, th- I feel bad for Jonathan Rhys Davies that like almost every episode, there has to be some sort of line about how he's chubby. And, an, and maybe it was just like more of an allowance in the 90s, but it's just like. He is a human being who's playing this role. Like, do we need to point that at everything? I, I, I sort of just glosses over it now. Somebody like these little comics just like, yeah, sure. Yeah. His statue looks better. <laughs> sure. I didn't notice. I mean, I, I now that you mentioned it, I noticed, but I didn't realize that was a thing. But I haven't watched other episodes where they made jokes about his size. So, yeah, I mean, it was more the gag was his his ego so big that he had them like make him look a little like less chubby in his statue but it was just such a weird thing because we have seen it a few times where they there's a lot of little pokes at his weight for some reason well there's definitely jokes about him landing on top of rembrandt like that was that was this episode right where where he flies out and lands both episodes yeah lands on top of rembrandt constantly yeah anyway now that wade has seen the gourmet bridge is blue (laughs) after being here for like a week and a half nearly two weeks they all she finally noticed and she's changed her tune. She apologizes to Quinn. And they have a big confrontation with Arturo just being like, dude, look, the Golden Bridge is blue. And he's like, yeah, I know. I know. He was so evil. I wrote down, Wade is devastated. Dark. Arturo knew the whole time. Evil. Like, it was, a, it was a really kind of dark section of the episode. Like, Wade was really upset. I liked this bit, though, because Arturo, like, he makes a good point. He's just like, are we ever going to get home? We've basically landed on a world where we all slid away, it's basically ours. We're like, we're like, we're like one step off and like this might be as close as we ever get. And like, he like he makes an interesting point here, which it will be undercut by the end of the episode, but it's an interesting point. And Luca, I'll, I'll add to that, that not only does, I thought this was one of the better parts of the episode because you're right, he makes that point that this is as close as it's going to get and they're all sort of against it. But in the episode we watched previously where a very similar thing where um, Rembrandt is famous in his world and he's just like, he wants to stay because he's like, I'm never going to get it better. This is the best version of my world. And they're all like, well, I guess that's true. And they like weren't <laughs> fine. They were fine with it at the time, right? Now it's like, now it's this horrible thing. But I'm like, you did make the exception for him eh, a couple months ago. I do like that Rembrandt agrees with Arturo though too. Because once again, he's managed to get famous. They're like, this yep. whole thing is just like, he's going to be on MTV Unplugged. They've re-released his album. <laughs> it sold more copies than his album sold originally. And I was like, it's been two weeks. How did they get into stores? Yeah. There's a little bit of time issue. Yeah, everything is super accelerated. Um, but again, that's why it's sort of... But you don't really realize that it's been two weeks yet. 
Like at this point no, in the episode, no. it, feels it still like it's feels months. like it's been several months. And it's not until later when they real- you realize it's only been a short time. Well, they announced out loud. They're like, it's been two weeks. I was like, whoa, hold on here, everybody. <laughs> anyway, back to the little plot points. Anyway, Quinn and Wade now are the only ones who like knows is wrong and want to go home. They break into the museum because they're going to steal back the timer. When they get there, they see the timer only has 30 seconds counting down on it. So they don't have any time. Like they don't have time to sneak out and like find a way to get it. They just have to smash the glass and grab the timer because if they don't grab the next 30 seconds, they're never going to slide out of this place. Uh, alarms are going off. They've got the they've got it. And as it's counting down, it gets to zero. And then just resets to 24 hours because what it turns out, it's a replica that's in the museum, not the real one. So they're they're both arrested for breaking into the museum. So many twists in this episode. They just kept coming. I'm like, what? It's a replica timer? Like, where did this even come from? What is happening? Like, my brain was just bleeding from all of this. It was, it was a good thing they spent so much time on the psychiatric sessions, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I felt a little bit like Rembrandt at this point. I'm like, I am losing my shit. Like, I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Is Arturo real? Is the timer real? Like, what is happening? I was extremely destabilized by the whole thing. Let me put it that way. Rembrandt comes back in the episode at this point because he's going to bail Quinn and uh, Wade out of jail. They really don't get in much trouble for breaking into that museum, that's for sure. And he explains to them, he's just like, hey, you guys, I've kind of been suspicious this is not the real world either because like my uh, – he was part of an old band that we've seen on the show, the, the the Spitting Tops. Is that what they were called, Jordan? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. He's been dealing with them in sort of sideshows where they're like they all want to cry now and he's not really liking that his old bandmates are kind of horning in on his fame. And he tells him, he's like, I did notice we were probably on the wrong world when uh, we shared co-writer credits on my songs. And he's like, and I think I'm just going to get out of this world with you guys because, like, I don't want to share credit with them on this world. That's, like, his reason for, like, he tells them this as he bails them out of jail or somewhere near that anyway. However, I think a scene later or a scene before in voiceover in the inside of the uh, psychiatrist office, Rembrandt also says, that he had a change of heart about being on this world because he was so touched that w- Quinn and Wade were willing to miss the slide window to get him and Artur to go with them. And I was just like, when did that scene happen where they were willing to miss the slider? Because they grabbed the slider. It had 30 seconds. They were going to slide. And then they have this whole separate, like, unrelated voiceover being like, I was so touched when they were going to skip that slide window. And I was just like, that never that happened happen. in this episode. <laughs> Maybe that's what they told him. Yeah, I guess so. We're learning We're learning a separate story that was told to yeah. him. So now that the three sliders are back together, minus Arturo, they're like, let's go break into Arturo's house, find the real timer, and actually get out of here. We now all agree this is the wrong Earth. And of course, when they get there, they're looking around, and in the basement, they find the real Arturo chained up. It's, it's the twist we expected at the beginning that Jane and I were tricked out of midway through. <laughs> Not Jordan, though. He knew. He knew all along. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, was, all along. I was totally tricked. That's what was my first thinking is like, this is a different Arturo. This, this Arturo stayed behind. Like this, this Arturo who's bad is the Arturo from this world, not their Arturo. And he is not a slider in this universe. And he stayed behind and now he's stealing their shit. And then there were no clues whatsoever that that might be the case. No one was suspicious that that might be the case. I was so relieved when I found, when they found Arturo in the basement. I was like, oh, thank God. I do like that they get to the, the classic uh, like double in TV, though, where like, so while while they're they're uh, rescuing Arturo, the other Arturo shows up and basically is like, I have to say, very quick on his feet. He's just like, no, no, I'm the real Arturo. I escaped and tied uh, the bad guy up. So you've just let the bad guy go. And they're like, I don't know what to think. And I, I thought that was pretty good. I was like, yeah, who knows? Maybe, he, maybe he's telling the truth. 
Yeah, I and then again, I didn't know which one was the real Arturo, and I was really concerned that they were going to be picking the wrong one. But then, but then one of them just punched the other one, and then sort of they went on with life. It is a nice twist. I, I mean, I obviously had for, forgotten about my initial suspicions by the time this point, so I, I did like for a show. And I mean, Jordan might not agree, but this show hasn't always done a great job of like having twists and turns. And I felt this episode at least had a few that I was surprised by, and this was a nice mm. reveal. And you know, it is as you said, Jordan. It, they finally get the opportunity, which we've been wanting, waiting for them to do, is that classic, like, doubles, who's who, which is the right one yeah. kind of scene. They finally get to it with the other Rembrandt, or the other Arturo coming in the stairs. He's like, I'm the real Arturo. And, the, the, you know, they're like, they're arguing. I like the bit, too, because there's a, there's a good bit where the one on the stairs is like, starts recounting their adventures as proof that he remembers. Like, he, I'm, I'm the one who's the real one. I remember all our adventures. And Arturo, who'd been chained up, says, well, Wade's diaries have been published for a week, so anyone can know that. Like, there's, it's a nice bit where just, like, you really can't trust either of them. And it is so funny that uh, basically the t- chained up Arturo is just like, I've had enough of this, and just punches his double out, and they take the timer, and they run off. I, I like it, and they never do actually explain it, because they have one line where Rembrandt says, as they're running away, he's like, man, I hope we got the right one. And that's it. Yeah. That's, the old, that, that's all they say. Well, and then with him free, they they race back. There's not much time left on the timer. They race back to Quinn's house. And um, at Quinn's house, Quinn says goodbye to his family. We see Wade's parents. For the for us, it's the first time we've ever seen Wade's parents. So they might have been in other episodes. But she's there saying goodbye to her parents, too. And they're kind of explaining the situation, why how this isn't really their earth and they're not really their kids. And um, they're going to have to slide away. And I, Jane, obviously you haven't watched all the episodes. But Jordan, it's at this moment I started realizing, I was just like, there's a previous episode where they're saying if they can just find the original slide equipment, they might actually be able to work on the problem and like spend some time fixing the timer. Mm-hmm. And there's like, if they could just find the original slide machine, maybe they'd be able to like have the equipment to find their way home eventually. Yeah. And I was just like, is it a bad idea they're sliding? I, shouldn't they actually be staying here and working with the equipment, the original equipment? They're almost on the, like, couldn't they actually mm-hmm. be better to stay here and like work on the problem? Oh, because they've never. Have they never been to a? They've never been to another world that is this much like that's Quinn's right. house with Quinn's equipment in the basement and all of those things. Well, they've never been to a world that's this close. In a previous episode, they had said if we could only find the original equipment, we could fix our timer to send us back properly, potentially. Not like guaranteed, but they thought it was a chance they could. And it was at this moment I was just like, maybe they should stay. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I guess because. I, that didn't occur. Obviously, I hadn't watched that episode where they said that, but it didn't occur to me that that landing in a similar world was so few and far between for them. Because in the pilot, that's exactly what happens. Quinn slides into his own basement, thinks that he's hasn't gone anywhere, and but really he's in a slightly different world where there's global cooling and red means stop, go and green means stop. So this idea that now they're in another world where there's Quinn's basement, like I didn't actually realize that that was that unusual. Like I figured they were at, they, they popped in and out of Quinn's house all the time in just different versions. I think more what it is, is that the inbuilt uh, uh, device of the show is just that there's always this timer for the viewer that they are always rushing to get something done and they just have to get out at the end of the episode. And I think to your point, Luke, like logically, yes, you, you make a pretty good point that like, if there's this little thing they can fix and there's a world that's so close, why not just let the slide go and know maybe in a few more weeks we'll be able to actually do this properly and get home? Yeah, that logically makes sense. But in the conventions of the show, no, they have to slide out because they need more adventures. 
Yeah, exactly. Actually, so their timer doesn't go with that equipment. Their timer goes with the original equipment. So if they let the time expire, would they be able to even set a new timer? Oh, good question. I don't know the answer to that. So maybe that's why they have to slide. Yeah, the timer from that stuff is with that other Quinn that's off sliding elsewhere. Well, so they cut that scene out because they had to go back to the set therapist office. There was a scene where Quinn explains it, but they were like, we got to go back to that therapist office. <laughs> Anyway, you're right. It doesn't really matter. The whole purpose of this show is they're on a timer. They got to slide every episode, and that time is up. That slide hole opens. They're getting ready to jump, <laughs> and a cab pulls up. It's the Arturo double. He's popping up. He's still claiming to be the real Arturo. Arturo. And at this moment, I was like, okay, great. We're finally going to get the scene where you decide who the real Arturo is. And then Arturo just says, you guys slide. I'm going to solve this. And we just watch them fight again, and whoever wins the fight jumps through the hole. <laughs> Yeah, and it wasn't really clear to me which one won the fight. Like, they kind of scrambled around on the ground a little bit. And then, I mean, presumably it's the real Arturo, but we don't yeah. really know. And even Rembrandt, in his shrink session, he's like, he doesn't have any idea. They even acknowledge, they're like, we have no idea if we took the right Arturo with us. Who knows which Arturo we have with us. And you know what? It actually, I know they wouldn't have, like, you as a viewer are supposed to just kind of forget about it. It's the right Arturo. Don't worry about it. But I actually think there would be enough something interesting in a serialized um, uh, sort of idea that it was the wrong Arturo and the actor gets to play this character slightly different. He uh, has a slightly different relationship with him, but they're stuck with him now. He is the person they know, but a, again, uh, with an asterisk, you know, I actually think there was something kind of interesting there, but maybe, maybe too much to ask for the show. That would definitely be too much to ask for a show of that era, but I think you're totally right. Because I thought about that too. I was like, not only could you have that actor playing a little bit differently, but six episodes from now, suddenly you cut back to the uh, the original Arturo in that world trying to fix a sliding machine so that he could follow them. And then, yeah. you know, developing a whole story around that. I mean, that would be that would be something that they would do today if if they were making the show now, I think. I think this sequence might be one of my favorite parts I've seen of sliders is that this trope of just like, who's the real one? How do you figure out who the real double is? It's pretty common. Like we've seen that trope a lot in science fiction. This is the first time I've ever seen it solved in this way where you're just like, I don't know. I have no idea if we took the right one with us. And I was just like, this is so funny. This is such a funny play on that trope where you're just like, who knows? We had to take one of them with us. So we chose, we just chose randomly. And I was like, this is so funny. Well, they were going to take both of them. Like, Quinn was like, let's just bring them both and sort it out later. And then presumably the good Arturo is like, no, that's not happening. And then he punches the bad Arturo and they have their fight. No, the bad Arturo would have said the same thing, though. (laughs) Maybe. Would he? Or would the bad Arturo just want to go? But why does the bad Arturo want to go with them? This is another question that I'm not sure about. It's because he can't get a Nobel Prize without the timer because apparently he's... He can't figure out how to back create sliding, which doesn't make any sense because in this world, and only we've said this, in this world, the sliders all slid just as they did in the pilot, but Arturo of this world chickened out at the last second, so he didn't go. So this Arturo has been living on this world for 18 months. He knows sliding exists. He saw people slide. He has access to all of Quinn's equipment, but he's done nothing in that 18 months to even attempt to like recreate it. Yeah, he's just been sort of waiting for them to reappear so that he can take credit for it, I guess. It doesn't really make a ton of sense. Because even if he, like, we've seen Arturo in the past as maybe not the most mechanically inclined person and maybe would have had trouble, like, recreating this. But if you had access to all the equipment, certainly at some point in 18 months, you could maybe, like, 
reverse engineer some of it. Yes, and he clearly also had access to henchmen because there were henchmen in, in a mysterious van that came and stole the timer from Quinn's house and all of this sort of stuff. So he could have also had access to helpers. The point of all this, though, is the psychiatrist gets his comeuppance for reasons. <laughs> yeah, that's the ending. That's what the big button we needed was to know that he's getting dragged yeah. off to the loony bin. Yeah, for for no reason because he sat and listened to uh, he listened to Rembrandt. No, it's because he saw the slider slide. It drives men mad. Yeah. So does Rembrandt just occasionally at random worlds decide to go to random psychiatrists for sessions so that he Evidently. can never talk, happened before talk out his problems? <laughs> never happened before. They were running. They were running thirty seconds too light. So they were like, "What if we had him go to a psychiatrist?" Maybe they were under the number of contractually obligated minutes that he was supposed to be in the episode or something. Just need to give him some more content, some more time. Let's move on to the next episode. Here's the IMDb summary for season two, episode twelve, Invasion. The successful implantation of a homing device in one of the subjects will allow us to track their journeys in hopes that they will eventually return to their Earth. And we will be waiting and watching, ready to attack when the time is right. The Sliders encounter a vicious race of scientifically advanced aliens who hold a nasty surprise for the quartet. It's so nasty, Jordan. They can slide at will and intend to conquer every Earth in the dimensional spectrum. So I just want to say one thing about this. So we're going to learn uh, there's uh, an alien species called the Cro-Mags who also are sliders. That's really going to be the the structure of this episode. Uh, so, you know, doing a little reading about the show, and Jane, I don't know how much you've done, but this was supposed to be a one-off episode of the Cro-Mags. Um, just as like a crazy world. Can you believe it? So when the show got essentially canceled by Fox and uh, or um, started getting adjusted. Someone on the network side or the other producer decided this was going to be the serialized thing. So they went back and found an episode they liked, which was the Cro-Mags, and made this now the major crux of the show for seasons, I think it's four and five maybe, that the Cro-Mags are like every episode, they chase them. But this was not, that was not intended. This was supposed to be like their Borg episode. You know okay. I mean? Well, but the Borg episode was intended to introduce the Borg. Like, so that's what I thought. I thought that too. I could see that that was their intention was to make make it serialized. But you're saying they retroactively did this? They didn't. That's what I it. thought. Luke, am I wrong? I think Jordan that that might be revisionist history. Actually, uh, do you think so? As we've seen, I think when we've been looking into sliders, there's a lot of discussion about how the first three seasons are really or two seasons are really good, and the next ones get worse. And we've seen like maybe that's not entirely mm-hmm. true. I watched that making of documentary a couple of weeks back of Sliders and a very telling documentary in that uh, it was just with the two creators and the only cast who came back for it were Rembrandt and um, Jerry O'Connell, which I think can tell you approximately when this was uh, filmed. Um, and if uh, we lost the two lead characters, they weren't willing to come back to do a making of documentary in that making of documentary. What's very interesting is uh, Tracy Treme, the, one of the creators of the show, he talks about how, he was pitching this idea for the Cro-Mags because he really wanted to introduce a running villain. They were going to be his mm. Klingons, basically. Yeah. He was very excited to do it, and nobody liked it. He had to go out to lunch with an executive at Fox and basically like, convince them to let him do this, to let them bring in this these Cro-Mags as a running villain. 
it did not continue after that. They did not like the episode. Fox was like, we're not doing any more of these guys at the time. They were like, we, we don't think this is going to work. And even telling, more telling even, in this very light and fluffy uh, making of where two of the actors who had a bad time wouldn't even come back to talk about it, Jerry O'Connell and I think Rembrandt too in the documentary were like, the Chromeg sucked. We didn't <laughs> like them. We don't know why we did them. So it's not true. It's revisionist history to say that there was never any intention of them ever not coming back. Mm. Tracy Treme had intended them to be a running villain. They only came back after it switched to sci-fi and they like dragged them back out into the light. But it was always his intention that this was going to be his like running right. board. So it's become, it's become his story. It's become part of his story that when things got, you know, quote unquote ruined, it's it was interference, but it was actually just one of his maybe not good ideas. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's his story around it. I, I think that, like, because the worst seasons have more Chromex, I think the lore around the show is that, like, oh, the Chromex were forced back in. But it was always the intention of the creator to have the Chromex, and they were just sort of rejected. And I know we're going to talk about this episode, and we'll probably have varying feelings on it. I don't like the Chromex, and I'm not looking forward to them in in future episodes. And my feeling is, at least personally for me, it's that it doesn't feel like sliders. It's not so much that it's a bad episode of TV. It just feels like this is not the show that they want to do. The show is supposed to be about going to a different world, learning about the characters, learning about us as society and maybe our feelings and themes and morals. And now it's just like, it's like, we're on the run. I was like, oh, is that the, sh- is that the show? I thought it was supposed to be a fun new world that is going to be something we've never seen before in a different perspective on stuff. And this is just like, I don't know. I, I just, this starts becoming the fugitive or something, doesn't it? I just felt like it, it started to feel more like, you know, Star Trek or some kind of standard sci-fi thing. Like it was immediately recognizable that these Chromags were intended to be returning, recurring villains. I'm disappointed to hear that they seem to have recurred so much in subsequent seasons because, again, I could see them recurring once a season once you know once in the season three finale and once in the season four or something like that but the idea that they've that that they sort of took over the show which is sort of like what it sounds like luke that you're saying that definitely sounds disappointing but it it didn't bother me so much that they were existing because i was like oh it's high time we're halfway through season two and there's no hasn't been a running (laughs) villain like what's wrong with these people it's high time (laughs) anyway let's start this episode it begins with a good, I thought it was a good Rembrandt gag, in that when they land on their new world, Rembrandt is wearing uh, elbow pads and knee pads because he's like gotten tired of the very painful slides we've seen them doing, and he's now landing with a lot more like protection when he lands. And what was very funny is like I thought this was a funny gag for Rembrandt, and then both Wade and Arturo think he looks like a nerd, and they'd rather keep like destroying their bodies on these slides than ever wear protection. And I was just like, what are you talking about? It's so 90s. I'm like, you, so you don't want to wear a bike helmet because you don't, you're not cool. Like you think it's uncool and you'd rather get hit by a car and die. Like that was kind of basically what they were saying. It was another point where I'm just like, oh, Rembrandt, you're the most relatable character on the show. You know what? And I have to say, uh, I think I said it in the first episode. He is my favorite character. And I have felt that in the last couple episodes, they don't really know what to do with him outside of like, they're almost trying to make him more one note than he is. Like, he wants to be famous. I'm like, yeah, okay. We doubt that. But it's like, he's actually a, a very funny performer. And he has like funny little bits in the episodes like this. But it's like, they don't, I don't know. Maybe they just needs more time of Wade and uh, Quinn like staring at each other lovingly. Oh, speaking of which, I did want to ask, in the last episode, they kissed. Was that just out of nowhere? Yeah, we don't know what's happening. Oh, we don't know what's happening. Okay. They've implied, we've seen them like 
appear to be a couple and then occasionally they talk about it's like oh maybe they aren't i think it's a will they won't they kind of thing and at this point they may be a full-on couple at this point i'm not really it's it's we've missed the episodes that explain that relationship but uh, to be very clear on it but it, it feels will they won't they up till now right okay I will say, I didn't even notice they kissed last episode, so clearly I've just, like, I've blocked that out of my mind. When they realize, right when they, at the beginning, when they realize that they're, they think they're home. Yeah, they kissed. They When she leaves to go, leaves his house, she kisses him, and she's like, thank you. It's like, it's like, they've been in a relationship, and there's a whole thing. And I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. But then it doesn't really reappear, and it's not in this episode at all yeah it's a mystery to us as well we've been trying we've been debating it we've debated it back and forth quite a bit (laughs) but this earth of course is a very post-apocalyptically quiet there doesn't appear to be anyone around and there's just graffiti tags everywhere warning of the chromags and they have a problem with their timer when they get here there seems to be some sort of interference that's working on the same frequency as the timer so they they follow that interference hoping to stop it so they can do their next slide what they discover the interference is coming from is this very futuristic flying ship called a Manta. Uh, can you imagine how to describe that, Jane? How do you describe the Manta? I don't know, because I didn't really get a good look at it. It just looked like your kind of standard, like on the outside, it was just like a standard metal ship. But then when it crashed, they said that the metal was organic and so that it was some kind of living ship. I don't know. Am I missing something? Was there supposed to be something more complicated about it? Jordan, did you th- did you, could you describe it? Well, it was it, well. It's like it's like a dark, almost purpley color, right? And it's like, but it's sort of like uh, it has. I'm trying to remember now. It's so funny. I think it had like two wings on the side of it, sort of like a plane. But they also have kind of spikes that go uh, frontwards, like towards the nose of the ship. Correct? Yeah, I mean, I think the the hint is in the title Manta. I think it's supposed to look like a, a sea creature, like um, with the wings out and the little tail. Oh, you know it. what? I didn't. I didn't actually think it looked like that. I didn't catch that. Yeah, I didn't either. No, I think that's the idea. It's supposed to be like a look like a little sea creature. And that's, I think, why it is called a manta. But very interesting. Neither of you caught it. So maybe maybe not the most evocative design. <laughs> They'll fix it in future episodes. It seemed like your standard, like, you know, evil alien landing craft kind of look, you know, holds like six or eight people or something like that. Although it did turn out to be a little bit bigger. Once it crashed and they went inside, it was bigger than I thought. You, you know what was more interesting to me is, and uh, Luke, sorry that I'm jumping around a little bit here, but just before uh, I think, uh, or just before they see the plane or just after the plane crashes, I can't remember, some dude shows up in a bow tie and he like <laughs> tells them about the crow mags and he's like, hey, and he, he looks like he's dressed from like 1910 and he's like, hey, the crow mags are, are here and they eat eyeballs and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, anyways, here's my daughter's. And two women who look older than him show up and one is dressed like kind of like she's from the 1800s and one's dressed up like maybe she's from the near future, dystopian future or something. And then he's like, anyways, tra-la-la. And then he walks away. I don't, I didn't understand that at all. What was the point of that? Well, let's explain that to you for sure. As you guys have mentioned, they crash this Manta because Quinn, uh, it starts flying at them. Quinn's threatened. So he, he shoots a slide hole at them. I don't know why, but it crashes the ship. Big explosion. And that's when this man wanders out in his tuxedo with his two daughters. Yeah. And what they say is, after he gives a big explanation for, like, he explains kind of what's happened in the chrome eggs in a very, like, esoteric way. And then they then he goes to say, he's like, I believe, I don't remember, kind of remember quite how they suss this out, but essentially someone's just like, oh, you guys were all in a psych ward earlier. And when this planet, like, started collapsing, they just opened the doors to the psych ward. And what they're, they're just talking to, like, three people who just escaped a psych ward. But to what effect? 
I, I was wondering to what effect as well. Partially, I thought maybe just interest and maybe comedy, but also maybe we were supposed to doubt the veracity of their oh, story. You're probably right. Um, because a little bit later, when they actually meet the Cro-Mags, obviously the Cro-Mags offer a different perspective on their existence on Earth, like in their Earth, and the re- in that Earth, and the reasons for being there. So, yeah, I thought maybe maybe we were we were supposed to distrust. So, the- so if if you're right, then the writers were like, we're going to introduce these aliens. We don't want the viewer to know if they're good or bad. So the <laughs> easiest way to do that is have some steampunk guy show up with two women who were he says are his daughter that are clearly older than him, and he'll give an alternate version of history. Then the viewer won't know what to believe. That's right. And Rembrandt okay. calls him a fruitcake. And then Arturo <laughs> admonishes him for calling him a fruitcake and says that that's not politically correct. And then they just move on with life. Like there's like this close up of Arturo where he's like, you shouldn't say that. It's not politically correct. And then they just continue the scene. I'm like, somebody said something like there's some producer or somebody was like, we need to make sure that we don't like disparage mentally ill people in this episode. So let's let's put this close up in and let's leave it in. The whole time. And the editor is like being like, I think we need, are we cutting, we're cutting this, right? We're cutting this out of the episode. <laughs> and the producers are like, no, no, you got to leave it. We got it for legal reasons. We have to leave it in there. And so it's just stayed in. It is, it is very strange. It is a very strange sequence that you think is going to come back. Never does. It's just this weird way of introducing. They needed someone to talk about the Cro-Mags and the, this guy was selected somehow. Let's talk about the Cro-Mags. How, what do we know from this episode about Cro-Mags? Well, they eat eyes. They eat human eyes. You you object to that. You know the brain's better. Brain is much better. Well, they, they say, uh, and uh, either of you correct me if I'm wrong, I think they, they say quite explicitly that they are humans that possibly came from another world that had a slightly different evolutionary path. So they're humans that look slightly different. And they keep saying they look like ape-like right but i kept thinking they looked exactly like lon cheney from the phantom of the opera was that just me <laughs> i thought they looked like jim carrey dresses the grinch <laughs> yeah i thought that they looked like the kangaroos from tank girl um but anyway no three different takes that's yeah all valid takes by the way um <laughs> They were not homo sapiens. They were very specifically an offshoot of like a great ape right, okay. that in their worlds became dominant instead of homo sapiens. And one of the things that they do say about the Cro-Mags is like as they're, tra- as they're sliding from world to world, they're astonished at how many worlds are dominated by homo sapiens compared to Cro-Mags. Like they're kind of the only, the only world that was dominated by their species is where they're from. Yes. And essentially what I think the idea behind them is they're 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 through the episode we'll get more little tidbits about it, but they're they're apparently from a jungle world. Their their species was very warlike. They're full of fear and paranoia and they were fighting each other. Somehow in this context of this world, they invented sliding. And in discovering that most other worlds are run by homo sapiens this brought them together this is this was the thing that like brought together as they called the chromeg dynasty in which they uh, now go out to these other worlds and um try to uh, assert their dominance and subjugate sort of homo sapiens is the idea this is this is this is where this chromegs are coming from a couple little points they don't get into a lot of details they're, we're supposed to know they're uh, quite uh, scientifically advanced compared to Homo sapiens. The examples we see of that are that, um, Jan, I think you mentioned this earlier, like their ships are made of an organic metal. They're like living machines. How that works, they don't go into details. They just sort of tell us like, this metal piece you see on the ground, 
it's also organic and we just have to nod and say okay got it but at some point also they say i believe one person says they're the masters of gravitational science and i was just like (laughs) okie dokie yeah you've just got to accept it because again this is like this is the the conflict that happens when you're have this sort of science fiction tv trope where you basically have a costume that you know looks like the grinch or something like some kind of ape-like thing. It's like basically they wanted them to be Klingons, but also they're supposed to be so much more intelligent even than humans. And also they speak telepathically, like they have a telepathic communication to each other. And then their only way of communicating with humans is through people that are intermediaries, right? I will object to that. They say that they could talk to humans if they wanted to, but they won't they can't be bothered to learn a homo sapien language, so they prefer to communicate telepathically. Exactly. So they're so far advanced, but yet they're sort of angry looking and warlike. And much of the action takes place with them running around chasing the team, you know, as you do on television. Yes. And what sort of how it sort of kicks off is uh, with the ship crashed, Quinn and Arturo go inside to poke around and um, they, they find a dead Cro-Mag. They steal his watch. An alarm goes off because they stole his watch. Chromags, more Chromags show up. They've got laser guns. They're they're shooting lasers at them. Thankfully for the uh, sliders, they were only on this world for apparently 42 minutes. So uh, their slide portal's opening. They're able to jump through. But as they're jumping through, they look up. And uh, that old evil slide hole's back. The red slide hole that goes to hell mm-hmm. opens up. And one, another manta flies out. So they what they see is they know these Chromags now are also sliders. But they manage to escape. And where what, what new world do they escape to? <laughs> They land in New France, which is amazing and ridiculous. And so, okay, so I have a couple of questions that you guys might be able to answer. That are just sort of overall questions about sliders. Number one, they seem to be constantly sliding into worlds, into crowds of people, and nobody really cares. So like in this episode, when they <laughs> slide into, they like slide into the middle of a park. And there's all sorts of people, like there's a dude on a bike and like a mime and like a dog like just all sorts of people in this park and there doesn't seem to be any aside from the fact that they land on some people and then the folks in the park laugh at them because of course french people love a good farce which i think is supposed to be the joke (laughs) nobody seems to care that they fell out of a hole in the sky does this happen a a lot joke about french people that's it this no no this is all just about joke about french people if you see a slide hole and you're american you go insane and they put you in a lunatic asylum right if you're french you just have a good laugh yeah, they did. They did have a good laugh. They love. I think you're just supposed to wave it away. Yeah. Okay. Because that hasn't happened in other episodes necessarily, where like they're just being witnessed sliding around. No, I think the, I think earlier on, and Luke, I, I could be wrong. I think they had it kind of like a thing early on, where they're like, it's you know, they want to. It was a little bit secret, but I think at the at the beginning too, they only would um, come back into his uh, his basement, and they're not doing that anymore. Now it's like. It's it's around the rough area, but I think they sort of just like have waved that away of like worrying that people are going to see them. Now it's just like, eh, don't worry about it. I got the sense with this episode is there's like, let's not worry about it too much. It's more fun to have them like land. But in the past, Jordan's right. They've tried to keep it secret. I think this might be the first time we've seen them slide into a crowd. We have seen them slide in front of people before. And either those people knew about sliding already or they were very surprised mm. to see it. This is the first time we've ever seen people just like have a good chuckle about it. Yeah, and it presumably people might have seen them slide away, whereas like you don't know what the consequences are of them having seen the slide hole because they're gone. But having them arrive 
by slide hole and everybody not be like, who are you and why did you fall out of the sky? That seemed weird. My other question, which is only somewhat related, is <laughs> did they at any point say how they decide how they decided each time how long they were going to be in a place? Like, with the like, do they they set the timer themselves, right? Like, they still make a choice about how much time they put on the timer and how do they decide how much time to put in each place? I think it would, it's every, it's random every time. And I think it has to do with how Luke, am I right? Is that the, it's not working entirely perfectly, the timer. So every world they go, they just, it's random. So it could be six minutes. It could be uh, three months. It could be two years. They don't know. So every time they arrive and I think that, and Luke, am I right? I think they've they've added that at a certain point, right? Because it wasn't was it that from the beginning? It's it's crazy that I can't even remember now. Well, at the beginning, he made a decision about how long he was going to be somewhere, but maybe maybe once once it became random, once they started being lost in space time, it became the timer's decision. In the pilot, they do indicate that the timer gets broken at some point, and uh, that's the case. I don't think they fully explain it in the pilot, but I believe in the subsequent episodes what it is is like, now the timer has a certain amount of time. They don't set it, but they have to hit that window, or they could get stuck here because they can't summon necessarily another slide. They always have to hit that window. And you had said it earlier, Jordan, in the pilot, I think they say they have to slide in the same place in order to hit the right slide hole. They still kind of hold to that rule. This, in particular, in this episode, for some reason, they bring that rule back up. Though it seems like it's gotten a lot more loosey goosey. Mm-hmm. Like they seem to slide wherever most of the time. And I had thought they'd gotten rid of that rule just in general. But they do bring it up in this episode that they have to slide in approximately the same place they slid out last time. So it's a weird. These rules are nebulous, and they change from episode to episode depending on the writer's needs. Right. Okay. So that's fair enough. That's good. I just wasn't sure who was deciding on the amount of time. But if it's sort of randomized by the timer, that makes sense. To your point, Jane, that's interesting, though, is that we've had them go on a few worlds, and it seems like they've been there way too long and some too short. And in the previous episode, it is odd that they even would have said it's been two weeks when you clearly would have needed much more much more time. And it, it wouldn't have changed anything. They could have just said at the beginning, hey, we're here for six months. It wouldn't have they changed anything. They could have just anything, not said anything. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, except that Arturo was locked in the basement. I think that's the only thing where it's like he can't really be locked oh, in the basement no, you're for right. more than a couple <laughs> you're of right. weeks. <laughs> they just find his skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> what I do like about this new France world is it is built 100% to be gags at the, at the top. They had a weird monster they meet, and now we're going to get five minutes of gags about how French people are rude and how Arturo's English, so he hates French people. <laughs> so many frog references. And even in the opening minutes, when he slides into this world, the reason everyone's laughing is because Arturo fell on a baguette salesman. And that's just like the this is just like the funniest joke for some reason that uh, an Englishman fell on a French baguette salesman. Like this is a lot of what happens in this sequence is just like Arturo being mad at French people. And being made fun of by French people. I would argue that uh, of the four main characters, Wade has the least screen time and thus the least to do they don't really know what to do with her other than reacting to quinn uh they've got they've saddled uh rembrandt with just kind of being a one-note character about fame quinn is kind of like a dopey genius thing and then they've made arturo the most unlikable character every episode you're just like uh he's angry or rude or whatever and i know it's like i guess could be a plot device for episodes episodes but i'm already getting tired of his character because he's just like i don't know he's just he's just a bummer He's just a prickly Englishman constantly. Yeah. Yeah. That's not fun. 
they uh, go to lunch on this world, which is my favorite thing they do on this series. Because I'm every time they go anywhere, the first thing they do is they land, and they go eat, and I'm always just so mad because I'm just like, how are you going to pay for this food? Um, and this episode, they attempt to like deal with that in that I believe after they eat, they're like, oh Rembrandt, you have all those silver pieces you wanted at a casino. And then he's like, oh, I lost those somewhere. So what we learn is uh, Arturo pa- like bartered his wristwatch to pay for lunch, which, Jordan, we've seen his wristwatch in a previous episode, and it's a shitty digital wristwatch. That made me laugh. Yeah, they implied that he had a very expensive watch, and he even says, he's like, that watch cost a fortune. But then in the other episode, it's literally a plot device, and he's wearing a like terrible Casio watch. I'm like, that wouldn't have bought lunch. <laughs> and I mean, and also, I'm just like, you can't barter. You can't go to a restaurant and barter. Like, I, I get this is New France, but there's no way you showed up to a restaurant and bartered for your lunch. I, I wouldn't worry about it. It just makes me crazy. They do it so many times. They're always just like, ah, who knows? They show up. They they never remember they need currency. I'm like, okay, fine. But the whole point is they have lunch. They talk about chrome eggs. They leave lunch. And as they're walking away, uh, Arturo's like, oh, yeah, I still have this chrome egg watch I stole off that corpse. And it starts flashing. <laughs> One of the slide holes to hell opens up, a Manta ship flies out, and shoots them with a knockout beam. Like, it just shoots a ray at them, and they all are like, oh, I feel faint, and they fall over. And next thing you know, they're all strapped up inside of the chrome egg ship, and they're being transported to Earth, a 113. Mm-hmm. Oh, this brought up a question for me. So just prior to that, when they're having lunch in New France— they debate whether or not to tell the French people about the Cro-Mags, like to tell them that the Cro-Mags are coming for them or whatever. And so then I was wondering, I'm like, are these all these multiverses like in a set order or are there ones that are more adjacent to each other than others? Because how would they know that the Cro-Mags were going to follow them into New France? Like as far as they know, they're just sliding randomly, right? So how would they know that they were they had the next world they slid to the chromags were inevitably just going to show up that was confusing i think they just mean that the chromags are eventually going to conquer all worlds that's what they're discussing oh okay i see do they need to wear they basically are thinking do we need to warn every single world we slide to okay. about chromags okay that makes okay that makes sense you do bring up a good point. Like when that watch started going off and like the slide hole opened and the thing flew in, I was just like, well, you've just killed New France. Good job, sliders. You really <laughs> fucked them. Yeah. And it's like you didn't think that maybe that device that was theirs could be tracked in some way. Like, what are you going to do? Just wander around from universe to universe with it and hope that nobody catches you? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Come on, people. It's been 18 months. Figure it out. <laughs> they don't learn anything in 18 months. I'll be honest, at th- this point in the episode, I was kind of hoping, just before the Cro-Mags showed up, that that was all we were going to see of the Cro-Mags. That was going to be a little tease for later on in the show, and in future episodes we'll see them. It was like a little bit of a, not a cold open, but a little, just little thing that you're going to see later on. And then when when they're like, the Cro-Mags are back, I was like, oh great, it's going to be a whole episode of them in prison now, and it's exactly what it is. And then I was just like, you know, my eyes are just starting to glare into different parts of the room as the episode's on. Yeah, and it was also so tonally different. Like, this was the other thing, is like, like the Cro-Mag storyline is pretty dark and serious compared to this New France gag, you know, bucket of gags or whatever. So <laughs> <laughs> bucket of gags, that's the the great term. Yeah, for so it. It, it definitely felt like there was some problems going on there. Yes, they're transported to Earth 113. It's a barren Earth the Cro-Mags have discovered that he basically uses a base. And a lot of stuff is told to them because as we've said, the Cro-Mags don't speak. They're telepathic. 
for some reason, probably because it's a TV show, that if you're going to have a villain who doesn't talk, you're in trouble. And you can't just have him talking into the mind of your lead characters. The Chromex have a slave named Mary, and they'll essentially talk through Mary. Mary basically explains everything we need to know, and the Chromex sort of talk through her. And basically what they're going to come to discover is that the Chromex, in, in their variation, how, here's how the Chromex describe themselves anyway, is they're a benevolent race. They, uh, they, go to, they go to these new world, they bring peace and technology, they'll like settle petty squabbles on these worlds, they, they're able to like bring technologies that worlds would never have on their own. And basically, in return, they basically just have to be subservient. Like, homo sapiens should be subservient to their superior culture, the Chromeg superior culture. And they bring peace and stability to these worlds. That's how Chromeg see it. Um, which I was watching, I'm just like, is this a metaphor for American foreign policy? Uh, I mean, I don't think Sliders is that smart, so no. But I'm just like, that's what you're describing Well, it was, really, it was a really thinly veiled idea because they're also eating people's eyes. Suppose, like so I'm like how can you be bringing peace and stability and then also eating everybody's eyes at the same time it doesn't really make any sense to me well it's so weird they keep implying that like they eat eyes and maybe they use humans as meat but we we only really see it at one point we see another prisoner and he's got no eyeballs yeah but like there's no there's no point where it feels like the chromags are gonna ever eat the sliders eyes like it doesn't feel like it's a major part of their 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 like it doesn't feel like the chromags eat that many eyes <laughs> Just every once in a while. What you're saying is they don't have to eat eyes. No, it's a delicacy. They just occasionally make soup. It's a delicacy. It. That's what I figured. Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, they're in this prison because the Chromags have never encountered Homo sapiens who slide before. And it concerns them. They're very worried about maybe the sliders are some sort of advanced scouts from a competing sliding army or something. So they're trying to get the sliders to give up the uh, location of their earth so that they can check it out and see if what they're saying is true. Like there's no real, like that there's nothing to worry about. Um, but of course, as we know, the sliders don't know how to get home. So this is a real problem. And most of the episode is spent. It basically each slider will get their own separate interrogation and, uh, It'll all end in kind of the same note because they don't really know anything about where they are or where they're going. So what we kind of see is Rembrandt meets his dad, but it turns out it's a double of his dad who gives it away by saying he has a sister. And so Rembrandt's not fooled and has given any information up. We see Arturo coming back from an interrogation where they've offered him great rewards to tell him where their earth is. Uh, and when he gets back, he's discussing it with Rembrandt in his cell. And then Rembrandt walks in and he realizes that it was all a hallucination. The Chromegs are able to force fake images into his mind of other people and they were hoping that Arturo would slip up I guess that's the idea there and uh, I believe Wade is strapped to a chair and subjected to a laser light show where they just keep <laughs> asking her where her earth is again a lot of this seemed to be there were some interesting ideas here but it was like I don't know if it was they didn't have enough time to tell the episode they wanted or they just had too much to get to but like this whole idea of the technology they have and how they can kind of turn each other against each other or make people say things they don't want. There's kind of an interesting um, episode there, but maybe there's just not enough time. I don't know. It just felt like I was like, oh, okay, quick. They're like, hey, they, they made Arturo say something. Anyways, onto this thing and onto the next thing. And I was like, uh, okay, what is this episode about? Yeah, the, the idea of the telepathic power and being able to create some sort of hallucination like or, or visions, like that's interesting. And that could be something, I mean, presumably would be something that they would decide to use later as like a, a bigger deal with these Chromags and a weapon that could be used against people. But yeah, it was very all over the place. It's like they were trying a different interrogation method with each character to see what would yeah. work. But they were all kind of bad and none of them worked. And then the characters 
banded together to escape. And to your point, we don't learn anything new about our, the characters we know as a viewer. We didn't learn anything new about them. And it also didn't, like you're saying, they didn't learn anything. So it also didn't really progress the plot. So you're just like, okay, I guess they have cool telepathic powers. Cool. Jordan, you learned that Rembrandt has a dad and no sister. What more do you want? <laughs> I know. Also, they do. They do, if they have telepathic abilities, I'm assuming they can do some sort of mind reading. They do a terrible job of. They just like they just guess. They're like, I'm gonna guess he has a sister. <laughs> My assumption was in that scenario, I assume they just went to a random Earth, snagged a Rembrandt dad, brought him back, and said, "Pretend you're this guy's dad," and he just didn't know anything. He's just like, "Ah, uh, yeah, hi, guy. I don't know. You mean your sister on another Earth?" <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought too. Is that he was dad from hmm. another from another dimension? But but I think this is the issue: is that they're very ill-defined what their powers are, and also like weirdly overpowered. So it's just hard to tell even like what's real and what's not when you get to the point where it's like they can force images into your mind now and just like so what is like what's true and what's not? Yeah, Quinn's interrogation is a little different though. He's brought to a botanical garden by the slave Mary. And um, she tells him she's really into him. She's really into his defiance of the Cro-Mags. It's really awoken something in her. And um, she's worried they'll execute him when he can't tell them where his world is. So she slips Quinn a key card. And uh, it's very funny. It's like like a hotel key card. (laughs) Quinn sent back to his cell and he's just like, she gave me something. What do you think it is? I'm like, it's a key card. And he's like, I wonder if it's a key card. I'm like, it's definitely a key card, Quinn. Well, he is a dope. We've kind of learned that before, that he's he's, he's a little bit uh, slow in the intake. <laughs> he uses it to open their cell. They get out. When they're leaving, That uh, the prisoner with no eyes is like, he's really like judgy for some reason. So he's just like, I'm not letting you get out of here with your eyeballs. I lost mine. And so he yells for the guards and alarms start going off. Luke, do you think he just started this rumor about the no eyes? He doesn't have eyes. He's angry about it. And he's blaming it on the Cro-Mags and it's just spread through worlds and they don't actually eat eyeballs. It's all just this guy. Based on what I've seen, I haven't seen them eat an eyeball. So it just could be just like a vicious rumor. Yeah, we haven't yeah. even really seen, aside from that one guy and, the, and the, the mental hospital escapees, we haven't seen any people that the Cro-Mags have conquered or attacked, have we? No. It's it was really driven home that like they eat eyes, but we see very little eye eating in this episode, so I don't know what to believe anymore. I just want to see one scene where two Cro-Mags are walking down the hall, and one's like, "If I eat one more eyeball, I'm gonna puke," you know? <laughs> just popping them in their mouths. They yeah. walk. <laughs> I did love this, and it's you know no fault of the show. This happens when you do it when you do a big show like this. But the alarm goes off, and the sliders have to run. And we will see them run down the same hallway dozens and dozens and dozens of times. I was actually being like admiring the directorial choices of the number of ways that they shot this one hallway in the corner. Like from the bottom up, from the ceiling down, to the left, to the right, like run this way, run that way. And it was just, they just kept running and turning the corner and running and turning the same corner. It was awesome. (laughs) It was very, it was, it felt like very Star Trek where they're just running in the same hallway. They're walking the same hallways over and over again. It was great. It was also very funny too, because it really highlighted how the show had no, we, the audience had no like plot point. We had no, we had no plot points or no goals in mind. Like we didn't know what they wanted. We just knew they were running. And as they run up and down these hallways, at some point, Quinn just stops and he finds two jumper cables, like just two car jumper cables. And he just turns them around and plugs them in something else. And then something explodes. And they're like, what was that explosion? He's just like, a Chromex sliding equipment. I blew it up. Let's keep running. And I was just like, oh, yeah, what is even supposed to be happening here? They're just running aimlessly down hallways. Yeah, they're just trying to mess up anything they can. They're just sabotaging and 
running. But I, I, I assumed that there was some kind of plan. So I, I sort of, I not nodded off, but I zoned out in the scene in the greenhouse with Mary and Quinn. It went on for so long. They were just talking and talking and yeah. talking. And so then when they started running, I was like, oh, there must have been some kind of plan that I, I missed about, you know, that he was supposed to meet Mary or whatever and had something in mind. That's what I thought. There's not. Uh, but yeah, it's fine. It's just I'm no, I'm thinking about it now. They're running around, and I was just like, oh yeah, there's no end goal. That's why they have to have him stop and blow up this chrome egg equipment. Which also he says he's like, I blew up some of their sliding equipment. I'm just like, you should have taken that. You needed a way off this ship. You should have taken that slide equipment. It doesn't matter. Sort of as they're running around aimlessly, Mary reappears. She uh, saves them from two chrome egg guards. She shoots them down. She's of course mortally wounded in the in the attempt to save them. And a, and a scene I had to roll back because I missed it happening because it's not exactly well blocked out. She's shot. She falls down. And the sliders are like, mm-hmm. oh, there's only two seconds left on this timer. We got to get out of here. And I was just like, where do they get that timer from? But it's I guess Mary passes it off to them as she's falling to the ground. Okay. Like it's, it's a really weird thing. Mary has the timer. She reappears out of nowhere, gets mortally injured, gives them their own timer back. And then, uh, Jordan, we were discussing this earlier this episode, the idea that they need to slide from a certain place comes back up here because they're like, oh, no, our timer's almost gone. And Mary just says she's laying on the floor dying. She's like, don't worry. I opened a portal just over there back to New France. You can slide from where you were on New France. And I was just like, I forgot we that was a rule. OK, we got to go back to New France. Yeah. And I, I'll say this because uh, there's going to be a little a slight little turn at the end of the episode. She like it seemed like she was only here as like a little plot device. And then she like dies in Quinn's arms. And they're all like. Uh, uh, like, and he's like, "You're beautiful. Don't ever forget that." And I was like, "Ugh, Quinn, you're the worst." It was yeah. just like, I was like, "What did it have to do with anything?" And it was just like dumb. It had nothing to do with anything. I'm like, yeah. "Where is this romance coming from?" This suddenly he's having a romance with this lady and telling her that she's beautiful. No, he he just likes going to like hospital wards where people are dying, and he tells them all beautiful before they go. It's like it's like go away, Quinn. No one asked your opinion. And uh, and then the, we're gonna find out in the next couple scenes that she's not actually dead, and so it didn't seem so gross. But it was one of those scenes I was like. Ugh, why is this needed? It's all it's all important. We need to have him feel something for this slave she, we spend 45 <laughs> seconds with throughout the episode. <laughs> That's not true. We spent a long time in that greenhouse with her and Jane like passed out. During <laughs> I did. But I mean, the other thing too is like maybe they were trying to build something because of course she's not, now that we reveal that she's not actually dead, if she's the voice of the Cro-Mags like, and the Cro-Mags come back in future episodes, now she has this rapport with Quinn but she, I guess that's she true. lied to him and betrayed him, but he still kind of feels an affinity towards her. Like, I, I guess there was maybe some kind of intention there. But it was very clumsy like and awkward. They wanted to love triangle Wade? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe, because Quinn seems really broken up. Like, they arrive back in New France, and the other folks have just slid before him, and so he's the last one through. And... There's some other, they fall on somebody else. There's some other joke about the French people. No, he falls, Arturo falls on the same baguette, the same, man. Okay. They do, they redo that joke. But this time he's like happy because he's like, new France isn't as bad as Chrome Yeah, he's world. thrilled to be in France for the first time ever. But Quinn is really sad. They're like, wait, what happened to, what was her name? Mary. And Quinn's like, she didn't make it. And he's really <laughs> broken up about it. So... I don't know. I guess it was supposed to. And be they were like, "Did you at least get to tell her she was beautiful?" And he's like, "Yeah, I did get to tell her that. Don't worry." <laughs> oh, thank God. You. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, they've escaped. They've escaped. All's well. They just now have to like avoid Chromags going forward. And of course, Jordan, as you said, they cut back to a button at the end. Mary's not mm-hmm. dead. The uh, the Chromags are rewarding her for a good job well done with an extra hour of freedom. Good for her. 
Yeah. So so they they want this because they want to watch them sliding so they can find more information, right? Couldn't they have just kept interrogating them? No, they want to find their home world. So they're going to f- track them. This is the big twist, is that they say, thanks to your efforts while we are interrogating them, we've put a tracking device in one of the sliders, but they don't tell us which one. And this is, this is I think, where the idea of the they're like, oh, it's going to be a big mystery. We're, we're going to keep coming back to it. It's like, which slider has this secret, like, is the Trojan horse? Like, that's going to be the idea behind it all. Of course... As we know, it won't come back for years because they didn't care for the idea in the second season. But I think this is where you see this was going. It originally intended to be a continuing concept they were going to come back to. And it doesn't actually happen until they run out of ideas probably while they're in the sci-fi days. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't even catch that line because I was was just like, I was still I was still just so concerned about Mary and her beauty that I just didn't even hear about that last line. Well, I was concerned <laughs> that suddenly the Cro-Mags were talking when they had never talked and very specifically said that they were not going to talk and that they weren't going to learn English. Then they're just standing there talking away with like telling Mary their devious plans. As soon as they were introducing these villains who I could tell were going to be continuing you know you're not introducing them not to be continuing and they said we only speak telepathically because we don't want to learn your language and it's like you're, you're not going to hold to this you're not going to have villains who don't speak you're not going to do that and they give up on it within yeah. the episode they give up on the idea within their first episode <laughs> yeah but they also look more ridiculous while they're talking because of their weird cost like because they look so grinchy yeah. now i just think of the grinch i think that was a really good a good uh, comparison. The who's from Whoville are here to Yeah, so they've got these like goofy kind of rabbity teeth and like their upper lip is sort of sitting up much too high and their nose is flattened and like they're just, they're, they talk like like little, like evil rabbits. And they're just like, this is not going to last. Like this is terrible. Well, that wraps up the two episodes. Do you guys have any final notes, anything we didn't cover? No, I think, I think, I, you know what, I'm actually kind of curious uh, mostly as to what Jane's scores are on this coming in kind of, uh, kind of coming in only with the pilot as an example. Yeah, yeah. I will note something for us, Jordan, and we mentioned this last episode, which uh, the intro to Sliders, they'd removed right. the whispering slider in that one episode, but it's back it's now. It's back. Sliders. They also, I also noticed the music's a lot more rocky, and like it's a lot more rock and roll, and they seem to have added more voiceover where they give examples of crazy worlds they're still doing. Oh, and the, is this in the opening the opening yeah. credit sequence? Yeah, 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 right. yeah. They're they're really tweaking the sequence. They're trying to find the right the right combination of things in this opening. Right, sequence. just so that people don't change the channel. They're like, oh no, wait, we also went to this other world where this happened. Well, well I guess I better stay and watch. They don't want people <laughs> only setting their VCR for nine o'clock for when X Files are on. They want people to set it for two hours and start at eight. I know, but then you would have to have both shows on the same videotape, and that's a big no no. This is the problem. <laughs> While you're out making out with all those boys, you can't risk losing that X Files episode. <laughs> I wish that that's what I was doing. It was not what I was doing. I was wandering the streets of downtown Toronto pretending to be cool. <laughs> not wearing a helmet. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> Definitely not wearing a helmet. <laughs> well, let's get into it then. I, I agree with you completely, Jordan. We've talked to a lot of people about the show. Mm-hmm. And even having Jane on, I assume she'd have a history with it. But she's untainted by nostalgia. So I'm very curious to hear what she has to say about these episodes. So, Jane, post-traumatic slide syndrome. Out of a possible 10, how do, how do you feel about this? Episode? I would rate it quite highly because I think because I had the advantage of not having seen previous episodes, I really felt like I was really duped by a lot of the plot elements. And I felt 
really unsure about where it was going. And I, I really liked that. And it, yeah, it was a, a little bit of a kind of adventure roller coaster for me. So I would probably give that one like an eight and a half out of 10. But I think if I had watched, from what you guys are telling me, if I had watched previous episodes, if I would have been much more dubious of the whole thing and I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. But because I hadn't, because I just watched the pilot, which I'm very glad I did. Yeah, I thought it was, I, I thought it was pretty good. All right. Well, Jordan, how, how are you feeling? Uh, I think it's better than the last few episodes we watched, I think, which were getting pretty, pretty cringy. I didn't like it as much as Jane did. I just think it's like, I don't know. It felt to me like they kept doing the same scene over and over, and I wasn't convinced by the turn at all, so I'm only giving it a six. Yeah, I think this might be, the outside of the pilot, I think this might be the best episode of Sliders we've watched. It was the most competent, even with the, like, completely pointless therapy session, which I'm just like, this is classic Sliders. And I gotta say, I know I said it earlier, I really like the doubles meeting each other mm-hmm. and who's who and the conclusion of that being like who cares just grab one and let's go that's very funny to me uh i'm gonna give it a 6.5 all right not bad which brings us to invasion jane how are you feeling about invasion? i felt like it was extremely uneven <laughs> i was like is this a hard-hitting episode is this a joke about French people? Is this, like, what what is happening? It could like, be both, Jane. We're on a ship. We're in prison. What's going on? I Yeah, I, I, I was bored for a bunch of it. The Chromegs were goofy looking. So, I, I mean, I don't tend to... I wouldn't overall rate it super low just because it was still kind of a competent show compared to a lot of crap that you guys have made me watch. Um, so I, I would probably give this one a six. That's relative to the previous 8.5. And like I said, the pilot being like a nine and a half out of 10, basically. Yeah, fair enough. The reason I'm giving it a six is just because I do feel like I still like the characters. I still find them mildly interesting. I still found some of the jokes kind of fun. And even though it was a bit uneven, it still felt cohesive. Like it it wasn't a a total disaster, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. What about you, Jordan? I'd agree it's not a total disaster, and I'm probably harder on it just because I've watched so many episodes, because I I think you're pretty much right with everything you say. I just think, like, I don't know why this episode just was so boring, and it just felt like nothing was happening, and it was to no effect, and it's like, I don't know. I just just didn't care about the Cro-Mags or any of the stuff, and it's just not the fun show I want. I want them to go to weird worlds where pants are shirts and red is blue <laughs> and the sky is the water that's what i want and this was like watching lon Chaney cheney stare at them so four to ten for me yeah i agree i think this episode is really dependent on how much you felt like you wanted them to have a recurring villain yeah i think it suffers from a lot of the sliders problems that these episodes have i think all the stuff with the chrome eggs is prelude and set up with no real direction or plot like even like as we were discussing i realized I'm like they had no there's nothing set up for how they're going to escape it's just like the hand of god comes and escapes for them just so we can establish that like one of them has a timer and like it's all prelude to set up for something later and the funnest parts of the episode are like the five seconds they're in new france because at least that's interesting it's yeah i mean it's par for the course of sliders i think it's a little maybe a little better than some episodes but it's hard to say it just feels like a very different show more than anything it just feels like it's from a different show i don't know how to i i'm also gonna go for i think i don't know how to feel about it i i'll say this though i really wish 
and I know it's going to be a thing later. I don't want the Cro-Mags to come back. I really don't. And I think, Jane, you made an interesting point that, like, you were like, season two, they should have a recurring villain. And I, I hadn't really thought about that. And maybe you're right. I just don't know if the Cro-Mags are that villain. I don't know if they are either. But I, I was surprised that this was our first view of any recurring villain. But I also, like, I'm very aware, you know, this happens a lot in television, I mean, maybe not anymore, but like it used to happen a lot in, in science fiction television and happened on Star Trek several times where they, they decided that they were going to have a recurring villain and they write the villain and they film the villain and they do the thing and they do the episode and it's terrible. And they're like, Oh crap, this cannot be our returning villain. We have like Star Trek, the next generation, the returning villain was supposed, the evil villain was supposed to be the Ferengi. And there's an episode really early on where they introduce the Ferengi. Yeah. And it's atrocious. Like, they're not threatening. It They're weird. Just, they, there was sort of a cascading series of decisions that started from when somebody wrote the script and then somebody made some costuming decisions and some behavioral decisions and some casting decisions that took them down a road that by the time they're in the episode, you're like, how did this happen? That these are supposed to be the villains. And I felt similarly about the Cro-Mags. Mm. It's like, okay, in principle, the idea is interesting that they can slide, that they have telepathic powers. Like that's kind of cool. But somebody, there's like a cascading series of decisions where then they end up looking like the Grinch or the Who's and they're not even remotely threatening in the way that they're supposed to be. And they're not interesting. And you just end up with a dead end. So that's why I'm disappointed that they are going to be around so much. Do you think this would have been a better episode if instead of them just having, like you said, Luke, like a hand of God that kind of just got them out of this, it was something like they stole a ship and now they have a ship and that's the serialized element. They're they're sliding in a new way because they have this new thing. Or is that is that too much of a change for a show? I mean, maybe. I don't know. I, I just... I don't know what would have necessarily fixed it. I'm here. I'm hearing you guys kind of come up with ideas and off the top of my head, I think if you were like, we need a reoccurring, a reoccurring villain to happen in sliders. If this is what's happening behind the scenes, they're like trying to find that you're missing the perfect opportunity is just have evil versions of them that are sliding through worlds and they're mm. bad people. And now they're, they've run into the evil version. Cause that's what this whole show is about is just like these four people sliding places, just make four evil versions of them and have that be like, I would rather watch that. That's more interesting to me. Yeah. But then you're just stuck in the mirror universe tropes, like constantly. Yeah. It's better than this though. Way better <laughs> than this. Yeah. I, I think they went too big with these guys. Like I think they could have done it so that they were maybe more like not so obviously evil. Like, Maybe more like, what am I trying to say? Like sort of this idea that there were sort of these benevolent overlords, but obviously which which is an evil premise, but like not have it be so obviously aggressive, make it seem like they actually, you know, because they are very intelligent and they are peace, you know, maybe they are peace loving. Maybe they're like the, 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 the shapeshifters from Deep Space Nine where they just want to create order. And as a result, they end up kind of destroying everybody but it's not really an in, as much of an intentional evil like i think when you're going for a master villain in a, in a in a series like that you have to think a little bit bigger than oh they run around and they shoot you with laser guns like you have to at this point i think it could be the best of both worlds i think it could be their doubles with grinch faces <laughs> <laughs> they come from grinch yeah, world that's right or, or hot dog fingers that would be perfect <laughs> All right. Well, 
this get let's move past this. Let's wrap up the episode. Uh, Jane, thank you so much for joining us to watch Sliders. It was it was a pleasure to have a new a new voice in the room to think about Sliders. Well, with. thanks for having me. It was a really great opportunity. Like I'd completely forgotten about Sliders, and like I said, I had it had sort of missed me. So it was a really cool opportunity to kind of check it out again. So I'm yeah, I'm really uh, I'm really grateful that you guys asked me to be on. It was fun. Uh, it's always great to have you back. And listener, we're at the end of season two of Sliders. Now we've now. With our best of list, we've now watched the top three episodes of season one, top three episodes of season two, according to our extremely flawed algorithm. <laughs> what that means is we have bonus episodes for charity. So if somewhere in the mix of these first two seasons, there's an episode that you're like, oh, I really wish they would talk about this episode. It's something I want to hear, you want to hear about, that we should watch. Um, Lord knows why you'd want that, but maybe you do. <laughs> bonus episodes for charity, we'll let you do that. We've got a list of charities on our website selected by past guests you make a donation to one of those charities and uh you can pick an episode we've skipped from sliders from first wave from any any show we've watched where we haven't watched all the episodes whether it's because they're the best ofs or because we've used the escape pod uh, you can find all the information about that at continuum drag no yeah continuum drag.podbean.com ah got it there we go or on our social media we've got links in our bios there so be sure to check that out if you're interested in more uh sliders or other material from us and on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, we're going to have clips from Sliders this week. You're going to see some Chrome eggs for sure. And they'll just be staring at things because they're telepathic. <laughs> <laughs> and just breathing through their mouths. like. Yeah. <laughs> their noses were completely puttied over. They couldn't breathe through them. <laughs> Uh, the handle there is at Continuum Drag. And of course, you can always email us if you have any questions about... I don't know, whatever we're up to, that's for sure. Uh, the email address there is continuumdrag at gmail.com. Um, but that wraps it up. So, listener, thank you for joining us. And, Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario, and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Delic and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes.